with you this morning, can I encourage you to get it out and head over into your Bible to the book of Habakkuk. Will you go to the book of Habakkuk with me this morning? How quick can you get over to the book of Habakkuk? Are you there yet or are you struggling just a little bit? If you happen to be struggling a little bit, don't feel too bad about that. The book of Habakkuk is actually located in, the, in a portion of the Bible that a lot of people do not like, and that is the Minor Prophets. In our time today, a lot of people don't like studying from the Minor Prophets because they view them, they view them as kind of boring. They view them as kind of dull and insignificant. They say that since they are written by prophets, who lived a long time ago, and they were speaking to a bunch of people who were living under the Old Testament law of Moses, then that means that they really don't have a lot of practical application in the lives of Christians today. Now, obviously, the people who say those kinds of things haven't spent much time reading the prophets, right? They obviously haven't spent a lot of time considering all the various issues that the prophets address in the books that bear their names. Take, for example, this book that is before us right here, the book of Habakkuk. You see, the book of Habakkuk was actually written during a terrible time in Israel's history. It was actually written not long before the people of Judah would go off into Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity began in about 605 B.C. And most scholars agree that the book of Habakkuk was probably written between 625 and 612 B.C. It was written just a few years before Judah would go off into captivity. And in it, we can read about a conversation that the prophet has with God. That's right. In this book, the book of Habakkuk, we read a lot of dialogue, a conversation, a personal conversation that takes place between the prophet and his creator. And so in Habakkuk 1 and in verse number 1, the Bible says this in Habakkuk chapter 1 and in verse number 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me, still exist, still, strife, I'm sorry, exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. I want you to notice carefully what Habakkuk. Notice what Habakkuk says to God on this occasion. Notice very carefully what is on Habakkuk's heart during this time in his life. Notice how Habakkuk, Habakkuk at this time in his life, he wants to talk to God about his society. He, he wants to talk with God about sin. He wants to talk with God about all the sin that he sees being promoted in his society. Specifically, he wants to talk with God 
about all the sin he sees being promoted among his people, the people of Israel. He wants to know, God, how much longer are you going to put up with the sins of the people of Israel? God, how much longer are you going to put up with the sins of my people? How much longer are you going to put up with their wickedness and destruction and injustice and violence? God, how much longer are you going to put up with this stuff? God, when are you going to do something about all of this? When are you going to act? When are you going to step in and, and intervene? That's what Habakkuk asks God at this time in his life, and God is certainly going to give him a response. God is certainly going to talk to him. God is certainly going to reveal some things about him that he needed to understand about how God was going to respond in this very troubled time that Habakkuk lived in. God is going to answer Habakkuk. He's going to tell him exactly what he's going to do in this very troubled time. For example, one of the things that God says to Habakkuk here on this occasion is God wants him to know that he's going to respond to these times by using the wicked to punish the wicked. He's going to use the wicked to punish the wicked. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, God begins to speak here. Habakkuk wants to know, God, how much longer are you going to put up with the sins going on in my society? And so God says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous, impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than lepers and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horror of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers, or in laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap of rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. I want you to notice a couple of things that God says to Habakkuk here. First, notice how here, as God speaks to Habakkuk, he tells him, I know. He says, I know what you know. I see what you see. You are not the only one who's aware of the sins of my people. You, you are not the only one who is aware of all the bad stuff going on in Judah. I'm also aware of the bad things going on in Judah, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to act. I'm going to send some wicked people to punish my people. I'm going to send some people who are fierce. And they are mean and they are strong and they are very skilled in conquering other nations. I'm going to send some people like eagles. 
and like wolves, and they're going to be riding on horses that are faster than lepers. I'm going to send some people who are even more wicked than my people. I'm going to send the Chaldeans. I'm going to send the Babylonians. The Babylonians, they're going to be the ones who execute my wrath. The Babylonians are going to be the ones who execute my, judge, my judgment. Here God is telling Habakkuk, that Israel or Judah is going to be judged and purified by the Babylonians. Judah is going to be judged and purified by a Gentile and heathen nation. God wants Habakkuk to understand that he sees all of the sin going on in his society. And let me just tell you that, that nothing has changed today. Nothing has changed 2,600 years later. Nothing has changed from the time of Judah to the time of 21st century America. Just like God knew about all the sin and all the degradation going on in that society, well, we need to understand that God also knows about the sin and degradation going on in our society. He also knows about everything going on in 2022. While we might feel like it at times, we're not the only ones who are able to recognize an ungodly society. We are not the only ones who are able to see a culture and a society that is going further and further in the pits of sin. No, God, God is able to see that stuff, too. God is aware of all that stuff, too. God is aware of everything we are aware of. In fact, God is aware of even more than we are aware of. You see, unlike us, God is aware of every unborn, murdered child. And he's aware of every same-sex relationship. And every mockery of his name and every perversion of justice and case of immorality. And he's even aware of every hypocrite in the church. God is aware of every sinful thing going on in our culture, society and world. And the Hebrew writer reminds us of this in Hebrews chapter four and verse 13 In Hebrews four and verse 13. The Hebrew writer says and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things, notice, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Notice how like in the time of Habakkuk, God knows everything that's going on in our society and in every society across the globe. He sees the sins of all people and he will execute judgment in his time. And in his way, that's what God is saying to Habakkuk here. And Habakkuk doesn't like that. He doesn't like what God has to say about this. He doesn't like that God is going to use a heathen Gentile nation to punish the people of Judah. And so look at what he says in verse 12. Look back at Habakkuk 1 in verse 12. He says to God, are you not from everlasting? O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You, O oh Lord, have appointed them, that's Babylon, to judge. And you, O oh Rock, have established them to correct. 
Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Look at what's going on there. You ever heard that old saying, be careful what you wish for because what? Just might get it, right? You know that. Well, when I read these verses, that's exactly what I think about. I think about that statement. Habakkuk, if you remember at the beginning of the book, expressed frustration over the fact that he thought God wasn't noticing the sins of his people. But when God says he does notice and he does see and he is going to act, well, now Habakkuk doesn't like how God is going to do that. He doesn't like how God is going to act. He doesn't like how God is going to use a nation that he feels is more wicked than his nation to punish his nation. Habakkuk doesn't like that. And so he tells this to God and then he waits for God to respond to that. So look at Habakkuk 2 and verse 1. In Habakkuk 2 and verse 1, after giving his complaint to God, he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself, myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. So God's going to say something. The Lord answered me and said, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it, watch this, will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one. Now, the proud one here is Babylon. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. This is still Babylon. Without all these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, woe to him who increases what is not his for how long and makes himself rich with loans. Without your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awake, awaken, indeed you will become plundered for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. Because of the human bloodshed and violence done to this land, to the town and its inhabitants. There are a couple of things we really need to notice about those verses. Those are some critical verses. First, notice how in those verses, God tells Habakkuk that even though he doesn't like, even though Habakkuk doesn't like what God's going to do, even though Habakkuk doesn't like how God's going to use a Gentile nation to punish the people of Judah, God says to him, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do what I want to do. God is not going to change his mind. God is still going to accomplish his purification for Israel through Babylon. But notice, secondly, how Babylon wasn't going to get off the hook. They weren't going to get off the hook either. Even though God was going to use them to punish his people in due time, he was going to punish them too. They were also going to get punished. Babylon's sins had not gone unnoticed by God. God wasn't giving them a free pass. 
to do whatever they wanted to do, just like he punished Israel for her sins, well, eventually he was going to use another nation to punish Babylon for her sins. Eventually he was going to bring Babylon down. Eventually he was going to humble them and he was going to plunder them. He was going to punish Israel and he was going to punish Babylon. From that we learn that God is just. God is just. God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't view one group of people as better than another group of people. While Habakkuk may have thought that the people of Judah were better than the Chaldeans. And while the Chaldeans may have thought that they were better than the people of Judah, in the eyes of God, they were all the same. In the eyes of God, they were all a bunch of rebellious, wicked people who needed to be on the receiving end of his wrath. God is just. God judges all nations by the standard he has prescribed. It doesn't matter if they are people of the world or if they are people who are part of his spiritual family. God doesn't let anybody get a pass when it comes to his standard for righteous living. That's what we learn about God in those verses. In fact, I really like Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. In Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, as God is telling Habakkuk that Babylon is going to be punished as well, he says, behold, as for the impudent one, that's Babylon. His soul is not right within him. But the righteous one will live by what? By his faith. I want you to notice the second part of that verse. The righteous one will live by his faith. Does that by any chance look familiar to you? Does it look familiar to you? I hope that looks familiar to you because it is one of the most quoted passages in all the Bible. It is actually quoted three times. It's found three times in the Bible. It is a verse that tells us that the only people who are going to be able to avoid the wrath and judgment of God are those who live by faith. Those who live by faith in God, only those who live by faith and trust in God will be able to be protected from the wrath of God. That's what the verse means in its context. And in our case, that means that instead of getting absorbed in this world and getting discouraged by politicians and the media and how things seem to be getting worse and worse in our society, what we need to do is just focus on living by faith. We need to just focus on doing what we need to do. We need to just focus on living by faith in God and live by faith in Jesus Christ and let God and his son deal with the wicked. Let them deal with the evil going on in our culture. God knows everything that's going on. He knows everything they're doing, everything they're thinking, everything they're all about. And in his justice, he will deal with the wicked in his time and in his way. What we need to do is just live by faith. That's what the verse means in its context. And that's something we need to think about. We need to think about the fact that God wants us to trust in his justice and live by faith. But there's a third thing we learn about God here in the book of Habakkuk. And that is not only does he use wicked people to sometimes judge wicked people 
And not only is he just, but thirdly, we see that even in troubled times, God prevails. God prevails. Go back to Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at verse 18. When you get past verse 17, in verses 1 through 17, Habakkuk 2, are all about what God is going to do to Babylon. He's going to punish them, even though he's going to use them for a time. But in verse 18, the prophet says this. What prophet is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork. When he fashions speechless idols, woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. These verses are very interesting. In those verses, you find a contrast. There's a contrast given in those verses between the idols that the people of Judah and the other heathen nations of the world were worshiping at this time and God. There's a contrast between idols and God. Now, in verses 18 and 19, we see that when it comes to the idols, the idols were nothing. The, the idols were falsehoods. The idols were the works of men's hands. They couldn't see. They couldn't talk. They couldn't think. They may have been shiny and, and beautiful, but they were dead. They had no breath in them at all. That's what the prophet says about the idols in verses 18 and 19. But when you get to verse 20, you see that God is very different than the idols. You see, unlike the idols, God is in his holy temple. When you get to chapter 3 and you read this prayer that Habakkuk makes to God, we learn that unlike the idols, the whole earth is full of God's praise, verse 3. You learn that God is radiant, verse number 4. You learn that God is capable of doing whatever he wants to whomever he wants. That's verses 5 all the way down to verse 15. When you go to verse 2 of chapter 3, Habakkuk also says that while he may not have agreed with God's decision to use a heathen nation to punish his people, he prayed that God would at least exercise some mercy in his judgment. Now, that's a very interesting thing that Habakkuk says there because idols can't do that. Idols can't exercise grace. Mercy or judgment, unlike the idols that were prevalent during that time, God is real. He is real and living and powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do. That's the message of those verses, and that's the message we need to hear today. Wouldn't you agree? We need that message. We need to hear what the prophet says there because... Just like the people in that time, we also live in idolatrous times, don't we? We live in times where people make idols for themselves. And they'll put their trust in their idols before they put their trust in God. I mean, isn't that exactly what people do with politics? Isn't that exactly what people do with their political parties? Isn't that exactly what people do with some politicians? 
Isn't that exactly what some people do with the stock market? Or with the money that's in their bank account or with their education or their career or their sports or even science. You see, while we don't live in a culture where a lot of people are going down, going and bowing down to little statues made of silver and gold. We do live in a culture where a lot of people have made idols for themselves. They've made idols out of politicians. They made idols out of science. They made idols out of money, education, sports. A lot of people today, in fact, the vast majority of people today will put their trust in any and everything under the sun except God. They'll put their trust in any and everything under the sun except Jesus Christ. They fail to understand what Habakkuk understood, and that is idols fail where God prevails. Idols fail, but God prevails. Politicians come and go, but God prevails. Political parties come and go, but God prevails. The stock market goes up and it goes down, but God prevails. Vaccines and other medicines may extend our lives for a period of time, but they can't keep us alive forever. God still prevails when it comes to that kind of stuff also. Idols fail, but God always prevails. This is why in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John tells us to guard ourselves against idols. This is why in Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus tells us to store for ourselves treasures in heaven. This is why in Hebrews 13, verse 8, the scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what idols we may make for ourselves, and we fall into the trap of making idols all the time, our idols will always fail. But God prevails. That's the third lesson we learn from Habakkuk. But let me give you one more. We're going to close. Drop down to verse 16. In verse 16 of chapter 3, after making this contrast between God and idols, Habakkuk says, I heard... And my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I trembled because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. For the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive shall fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me to walk on high places. Those are some powerful, powerful verses. Powerful verses. They teach us a powerful lesson about God. They teach us that when it comes to God, the one true and living God, He's always worthy of our trust. He's always worthy of our trust. That's what Habakkuk is saying here in these verses, even though Habakkuk knew that some bad days are coming. He knew that some bad stuff was about to happen. He knew that the Babylonians were coming. There's nothing he could do to stop that. He knew that essentials like food were going to be scarce, even though all these things 
were coming in the future, Habakkuk was committed to not wavering in his trust in God. He was committed to not wavering in his faith in God. Instead of wavering in his faith and trust in God because he knew things were going to get worse before they got better, he says he was going to stick with God. He says he was going to exult in God. He says that he was going to rejoice in the salvation of God, understand that God was his rock and his strength, live by faith, and stay right where he was spiritually. Habakkuk was not going to bail on God during a troubled time in Judah. And let me tell you something, we shouldn't either. We shouldn't either. It doesn't matter what our future holds. It doesn't matter if things continue to get worse in our society. Instead of getting better, it doesn't matter if this pandemic lasts for 50 more years or 100 more years. It doesn't matter if the stock market completely crash, if inflation goes through the roof, if our economy completely collapses, if the majority of people become atheists, even if we get ferociously persecuted by our government because we're Christians. It doesn't matter if bad things are headed our way. It doesn't matter if things get better. It doesn't matter if this pandemic goes away tomorrow. It doesn't matter if days of peace and prosperity and roses and sunshine are just on the horizon. I don't care what happens tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year. Our resolve must always be the same. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust Jesus. We're going to exalt in God. We're going to rejoice in God. We're going to glorify God. We're going to put our complete hope and trust in God. Because only God can save the most important thing we possess, and that's our souls. That's the message of Habakkuk. You see, while we can't control what our culture does, and while we don't know what the future holds, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, and you don't either. While we don't know what the future holds, like Habakkuk, you know what we can do? We can control how we respond in the future. We can control how much we trust God. We can make sure that we always maintain joy in our hearts. Because we know that with God in our future, everything's going to be okay. God is still the God of our salvation no matter what times we might live in. In fact, maybe this morning you need to receive the salvation of God. Maybe this morning you need to receive the opportunity to rejoice in the salvation of God because you are completely surrendering yourself to him. If that's what you need this morning, then we'll be more than happy to help you with that. That means we need to study with you. If we need to pray with you, if we need to baptize you because you're willing to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever spiritual need you may have this morning, if you need to experience the salvation of God, then come to the front right now. We'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.